Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. In today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with Bob Hamp, a licensed marriage and family therapist and author of several books, including Think Differently, Live Differently, Foundations of Freedom, and his newest release, Think Differently, Lead Differently. Bob and his wife, Polly, are the owners and directors of Think Differently Counseling, Coaching and Connecting, which is a counseling and training center in Grapevine, Texas. Bob, welcome to the Flying Free Podcast. Thank you, Nellie. I first heard you speak on a Facebook Live event about a year ago on the subject of abuse, and it was one of the most insightful teachings I had ever heard. Can you, you tell us a li- can you tell us a little bit more about what you do on Facebook? It looks like you hold classes locally and then you offer them live. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it depends. If you're asking or if my wife's asking, if, if my wife is asking what I do on Facebook is I scroll and I, I you know, hang out. <laughs> <laughs> what you're asking about is we, our counseling center is, as you mentioned, Think Differently Counseling, Coaching, and Connecting. And we have a Facebook page for that center. And the primary thing we do on that page is we use that for our Tuesday night classes which we have, uh, we host them live here at the center. Our, we have a small classroom here and it's open to the local area, so people come in from all around here. But we also broadcast on Facebook Live a, a wide range of topics. Um, and so it will be anything from spiritual growth and transformation, uh, relational issues, and uh, among that would be some of the teaching that I do on abuse that you've described that is how you uh, stumbled across our stuff. And so those Tuesday night classes are, are also um, mingled in with, we do a variety of events. Um, and those events are also announced. And actually, this next year, we're going to broadcast those events, uh, not on the Facebook page, but on a separate site. But we'll communicate about that on the Facebook page. That sounds fabulous. Because a lot of women that, I, you know, well, I've talked to a lot of women who don't have Facebook, they, or they don't go on Facebook. And some of them are that are on Facebook, they have to be careful about what they look at or read or like because, you know, they're in these precarious situations with spouses who are kind of keeping an eye on them and controlling what they're doing. And so, you know, they, they have to be careful. So that sounds wonderful. And there's a lot of people just believe it or not, who just culturally aren't on Facebook. (laughs) And so I can't uh, believe that. Shocking. I know. (laughs) So, but so we, uh, for that reason and several others, we're going to move over to another website, but Facebook is still kind of a central place for communication. And um, until further notice, those live classes are every Tuesday at 630. um, Other than the little break that I just told you about that we're doing during the holidays. Okay. So as far as, so as far as all the different subjects that you talk about, um, when you first started, was it just a year ago or had you talked about abuse prior to? When was the first time you started talking about abuse a little bit? Uh, Probably the one you're referring to. I taught the session uh, a year ago fall, uh, a two-part series on uh, the first one on understanding abuse, the second one on spiritual abuse. Um, I've actually taught for probably a decade on spiritual abuse just because it's so prevalent and in the the varying positions I've been in, 
I, I regularly encounter people who've been abused in churches by church leaders or by church institutions. Obviously, leaders are involved in that, but um, uh, it's only probably been the last two years that I've been teaching on other forms of abuse. Okay. And have you noticed that, I think I think I had heard from you that when you did this teaching on abuse, that you had just tons of shares and it, there was a lot of activity, a flurry of activity. So I, I like to think people like all the stuff we teach. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we really, we've got, you know, we've got a growing uh, uh, appreciative audience, but we opened the door and started teaching on abuse. Um, it's like, it's like everybody came out of hiding. Yeah. I don't know if that's a fair way to say that or not, but um, the, just the, the reaction was significantly higher and stays that way. It's, it continues to be something that, that um, people just share regularly and, um, like you mentioned in our other conversation, I, I'm actually going to do a short um, ebook about that topic. Because what I think, I've, what I believe is happening, Natalie, is that population who's been through either is in the midst of an abuse real, abusive relationship, or is getting out of or has gotten out of that, has been a very isolated, silenced group. Um, and much of that because of the very dynamics of abuse and the way that the rest of the world and the church world understands abuse, often the people who have been victims and or have gotten out of an abuse relationship just kind of disappear from sight. Um, and so I, it seems that when, when I've spoken for them, there just seems to be a real kind of gathering around that voice. I think it's also comparable to what's happening with the Me Too thing these days that people are just finally feeling like somebody sees somebody is going to give a voice to this and I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I wish that you, uh, that you who are listening to this could have just heard we, Bob just recorded a workshop that's going to be available within the flying free, um, private membership group. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, and I wish you could do the whole thing right here, but we're just, this is just a 30 minute podcast. Okay. But um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, I, my audience is women of faith. So yeah. women who have put their hope in Christ, they have um, invested their lives in the, their local churches. In that many of them are very conservative so they have had, you know, they've had, some of them have lots of children. Um, the, many of them homeschooled, baked bread from scratch, you know, the whole nine yards, okay? And then yeah, they wake yeah. up after two or three decades of their lives that have been poured into this relationship that has not worked. And they, it's overwhelming when they first wake up and realize um, what, and, and one of the things I want to say is the workshop that you just did is like, it's a way of seeing what abuse is that actually helps you wake up to wake up to it really. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is, um, they maybe aren't ready when they realize that they actually are in an abusive situation. They're not ready to pull the plug right away. Their, their first reaction is like, <laughs> like their reaction all the time, which is, oh my word. I've got to fix this. Now I'm going to have to, you know, 
dig down deep into whatever reserves I have left, which is pretty much nothing, and try to figure out how to fix what's now identified as an abusive relationship. But they, and another thing is that they have children. A lot of them have children. They might be lots of different ages. You know, some of them have kids that are in their twenties and even thirties, but a lot of them have kids that are still teenagers and even younger kids. They have money situation that is our financial considerations because they've been stay at home moms, a lot of them, and they don't have a career. They don't have a job. They laid all of that to the side in order to invest in this marriage and help, you know, build up their husband and invest in their children. What, how would you advise them as far as what they could do in their current situation when they're first realizing what's going on, but they're not ready to pull the plug at, how would you advise them to manage or to think about their situation with their abusive partner? You know, I think, um, let me step back and then answer that question. I'm going to give a, a little bit of context that's, I think, super important to this. One of the things that... Um, primary to emotional and mental health and therefore spiritual maturity is this movement from emotional dependence to emotional independence. Now, humans are supposed to move from when they're born and fully dependent on their parents to a place of emotional independence where they, as the Bible says, leave their mother and father and cleave to their spouse. And each generation is supposed to make that shift towards emotional independence. Emotional independence isn't the kind of rebellious independence that, um, that people are afraid of. Emotional independence is I think, I think for myself, I, I manage my own life, I manage the world around me, uh, I, don't, I don't carry somebody else's burden when it's not mine, I do carry my burden so that other people don't have to, and it's a, it's a way of living free. So emotional independence is both psychologically and spiritually the key to, um, to health and freedom. And emotional independence also means learning to discern what am I responsible for and what is somebody else responsible for. And one of the things that I think is crucial to that, and Natalie, you've heard me describe and quoted in your book, that abuse at its root is an inappropriate assignment of responsibility. So it's tied to the struggle to make that leap to emotional and spiritual health of, of independence. In other words, if I'm responsible for myself and I'm not responsible for other people, then I can be spiritually and mental and mentally healthy. Um, but if I'm in an abuse dynamic, then what that means is I start to feel responsible for things that aren't mine. And often in control oriented environments, whether it's a job or a religious setting, the same thing is true. In other words, uh, control uses a variety of things like guilt and shame and even will um, claim to be God's uh, mouthpiece in order to get other people to feel a burden that is not necessarily their burden. And so all that to say, the number one thing I would say is really begin to understand what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. What God asks of us, asks of us in relationships and what he doesn't. Um, and begin to realize that in many cases, simply beginning to really manage your own internal world and stop trying to manage other people's internal world will change a number of things without ever changing your relational status. Mm. Now that was that was a lot to throw out there. 
but I wanted to tie this idea of, of over overarching emotional and, and spiritual health to this idea that in settings where control or manipulation or domination are being used, whether it's abuse or whether it's simply a institutional control, like what can happen in some religious settings, um, then the opportunity to say, wait a minute, um, while God wants me to be in healthy relationships, he doesn't want me to be controlled by others, nor does he want me to control others, because that takes away the opportunity for genuine love. Mm -hmm. Allowing people the freedom to make choices, allowing people the freedom to think their own thoughts and and even carry their own responsibilities is a tremendous act of love that some people don't actually want. Yeah. There's a, um, for, for some reason, we seem to land here. So let me wrap this up by saying this. There's a moment in the Old Testament where you see that Israel goes to the prophet and says, hey, tell God that we want a king. And so the prophet comes back to God and says, the people want a king. And God says, tell them they can have one which is scary that God's going to give them what they ask for. But he says, but if, the, if I give them a king, he's going to take your kids, he's going to take your land, he's going to take your money, and goes through, this, through uh, about three paragraphs of what the king will take away from people. Now, here's what I think that's a picture of. Everybody wants somebody else to be responsible for them. But that was never God's design. The reason that the Israelites wanted a king is the same reason that we often want to look to somebody else to tell us what to do and how to think. But when we're letting other people tell us that, instead of discerning that within, you know, within a community, then we, we set up half of the control dynamic. So learning to really have your own relationship with God and learning to discern what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for are actually the foundations of a lot of freedom, not just freedom from abuse. Right. So what, so if a woman, she sees the dynamic, she might even be tempted to like take her notes to her spouse and go, Hey, look, you know, I learned this. I learned that, you know, I was watching this Facebook video and it, by this guy named Bob Hamp. And, I'll give and, him my address also. <laughs> right. And he described, and it, this is how he described the situation. And this is, I'm really seeing this in our relationship. And I need you to take more responsibility. She's going to get kickback from her spouse and it's probably going to like blow up in her face. So what would you suggest that she do if she were to hear what you have shared? And I, by the way, I'll put links to um, some of his teachings on this that are on Facebook in the show notes so that you can link and, and listen to more of what he has to say. Because he's got a lot, he's got a lot of really great things that you guys are going to want to hear, but that we're not going to be able to cover in a little podcast. But, um, you know, how... How are they going to handle the kickback? How can they, there's a cycle and you're familiar with this cycle. How right. do they change? What do they do to change it? And how do they handle the kickback that they're going to get when they do actually try to change what they would normally do in the cycle? Well, I think you're wise to point out the cycle. And I think it's, it's also a helpful aspect of really beginning to walk in freedom. I think the most important part is to learn what is your part of the cycle. Um, and anything you do that that's no longer playing your part of the cycle, 
you know, when you describe they might be tempted to take it in there and have a conversation where you say, look, I, I now see that I'm being abused or I now see that we're in a control uh, a sub, subjection relationship, um, that might actually just feed the same cycle. Mm-hmm. So the wisdom to recognize that um, uh, capitulating, capitulating passivity, um, taking care of the other person's needs without expecting them to respond to your needs. Um, all of those are elements of that cycle. Um, and I think probably more so than just going and having a confrontation, I would pick one or two things that you have never asked for before and just go ask. Um, and the dilemma is, and I, I know that you know this, Natalie, some people are, are in dangerously abusive relationships. Some people are in control dynamics that they just, that both of them don't know better. Um, and those who are in dangerous relationships need to not go um, provoke more, uh, more anger or more abuse. But in any of those dynamics, it's safe, I believe, to be able to just walk up to your spouse and say, hey, I really need more of this. What would it take for me to have more of this? Whether it's more conversation, more affection, more, um, uh, more respect, more honor, um, and if possible, describe those things in some behavioral ways. In other words, uh, if you just say, I, I, I would really mean a lot to me if I had more honor, uh, don't just say that. Say, um, what would it take for us to have a relationship where I feel more honored by you? For instance, you use a, a kinder tone with me, or you don't call me names, or you know, give some specific behaviors that would indicate that shift. And then um, that. It's, it's a little bit like sticking your toes in the water when you do that. Yeah. Um, I think we described in the class that we just had that, you know, sometimes when you confront the abuse dynamic, it suddenly escalates. And the reason it escalates is because the, the dynamic as, assumes that the victim will re- remain passive. Mm-hmm. So to go from fully passive to fully confrontational might be like burning your house down. Well, and when you ask for something, it you're the other person thinks that you're implying that they haven't you, that they have failed in some way, you know, and then they don't like that because they are always right. They don't fail; they're perfect, you know. So just even by making your needs known, you are almost kind of inviting a fight, and you don't mean to. It's like you. You'd really don't want to do that. You just want to have a meeting of the minds. You just want to have a connection. You know, you want to hear their their heart, and you want them to hear your heart. And it's just not possible. Is there ever a time when you just need to? It feels counterintuitive to just back off because then, for sure, you can't. I mean, I guess I I just remember thinking in my own relationship. Well, if I don't keep trying, then I'm giving up and I don't want to give up. I want, I want this relationship to work. Is there ever a time where you just do need to give up and just kind of refocus your energies on, and what do you refocus your energy on? So let me first of all say that the, the opposite of an abusive relationship is a mutual relationship. It's not the absence of abuse. It's the presence of mutuality. And, and so when, when two partners can meet each other in the middle and meet each other's needs in meaningful ways, you have a healthy relationship. Um, so the answer to your question is, what I heard you just ask is, is there ever a time to give up? Yeah. 
picture for just a minute. You, you've gone and you've asked. You know, you've said, "Is it? Would it be possible for us to have a relationship where I get more honor from you?" The first thing you're looking for, you know, the first time you do that, it's like sticking your toes in the water and finding out what comes back. Mm-hmm. You you took us from the beginning to the end then of that dynamic, which would be <laughs> if you've asked a few times and change hasn't happened. Um, the next step would be deciding how you're going to manage your own life. In other words, the way that Danny Silk and Keep Your Love On describes setting boundaries. Boundaries aren't telling the other person what to do. They're telling the other person what you're going to do. Mm. So it would be things like, um, hey, I've noticed that when I've asked for honor, it doesn't seem to come back to me. From now on, if you're not honoring to me, I'm going to not engage in a conversation that you're not honoring to me. Mm. and so again keeping in mind safety issues not all relationships is it safe to do this but setting a boundary isn't about telling the other person what they need to do it's about telling them what you'll do if if changes don't happen and so you you ask for what you need and if they don't make those changes then you follow through with uh, it can be things like you know whatever you've provided in the relationship um it's it's not uh, it's not manipulative for you to say look, I'm not comfortable being intimate with somebody who's cruel to me. I'm not, and by intimate, you're going to have to define, do you mean sexuality or do you just mean emotional connection? But whatever it is you're willing, whatever boundary you're willing to set, you say, I'm not comfortable giving my heart to somebody who screams at me. Or I'm not comfortable sharing um, connected times with somebody who's critical of me. If you're not willing to make that change, I'm going to distance myself a bit more and, and figure out what I need to be safe. If you're not going to help me be safe, then I'm going to get safe. That's like a step two. And then step three would be, I think, the thing you're asking about, which is at some point, if you've, if you've asked for change and it hasn't happened, and then you've made some changes that you know, you're making in order to make sure that you're safe, provided for, cared for, um, whatever it is you're, you're needing, um, and they either escalate, and by the way, that would be one sign that it might be time to consider when you said, is there a time to give up? If they escalate when you ask for your needs to be met, that's a pretty good sign that somewhere out there you're going to need to say, if this keeps escalating, you don't want to keep feeding an ongoing escalation. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to not get what you need. It's another thing to escalate things. And if you're escalating things, stop right then. Mm-hmm. If at some point it continues and they don't respond in meaningful ways to your needs, um, and again, there's so many directions to this. It's hard to speak in generalities about it because for one person, what I need might be you know, just some time together in the evening after the kids go to bed. For another person, it might be, I need you to not hit me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think the time to give up, um, and I'm gonna go back to the, the resource that I quoted in our, in our session, uh, Beyond Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend talks about the difference between hurt and harm. And what they say is that hurt, we hurt each other in relationships regularly. I mean, it's it's part of being close. Sometimes someone misunderstands. Sometimes somebody um, you know has a bad day and says something. We hurt each other, and that's not unusual. But harm is when, the, when it starts to really um, affect you detrimentally in your mental and emotional state or in your ability to perform in day-to-day life. Yeah. So if what you're asking for, or if you're asking them to stop something and they're not stopping, begins to harm you, at that point, it's time to ask yourself the question, 
Is it reasonable that it might change someday? Or has all of their behavior pointed out um, that perhaps change is inevitable and I'm just way too optimistic? Or change is, change is not going to be in, inevitable? Sorry, I said that backwards. Um, and then here's the other thing I would add to that, Natalie. I think this is really a crucial piece of this. I, I've been a counselor since 1991. I've been a licensed counselor since 1991. And um, actually, 93, sorry. I got my degree in 91, got my license in 93. Um, I don't think I really understood personality disorders until the last six years. Mm. And I think that if you are in an abusive in, uh, relationship, I think it would be important for you to, to begin to learn about personality disorders. And the reason I say that is because um, if you're just working through conflict, then work hard and be patient. But if you're dealing with somebody who shows a strong uh, likelihood that they have a personality disorder, your hard work might actually be fueling the pain that's coming back at you. Right. So in, in short, what I tell people who are in here and trying to work through a relationship issue and I spot what I think might be a personality disorder what I tell them is that um, in the DSM-5, which is the book that we use to diagnose uh, psychi psychiatric disorders, 98% of what's in that book is, is what's called acute disorders that you know, it, um, can be treated in a variety of different ways. 2% are what's called the Axis II or, or personality disorders, which the American Psychiatric Association would say those are not something that's treatable. Um, they're uh, by personality disorder, something that, that took place in the formation of personality in the early years of life and therefore is kind of cemented in as a natural part of their character. Mm -hmm. In fact, some people use the term character disorders instead of personality disorders to describe uh, the access to disorders. And if a spouse, if you're married to somebody or in a, a relationship with somebody who has a personality disorder that, that seems to be identifiable, that itself might be a sign that it's time to really change your tactics or even consider backing out of, of trying to try, continuing to try. Right. Okay. So what if you, um, you know, in Christian circles, we, there's a lot of spiritual teaching that actually feeds into the, the abuse dynamic. So a Christian woman, for example, she wouldn't necessarily feel like she has the right to ask to have her needs met because, you know, Jesus is supposed to meet all your needs or maybe when she starts setting some boundaries or, or making her needs known, she's accused of being selfish or demanding or accused of even giving, you know, you've get, you're giving up on the relationship. And maybe if she starts to create some distance and protect herself or she'll be told, you know, you have an anger problem, um, you're bitter. What, so there's, and then usually what I've seen in so many cases is that the church tends to come alongside of the abusive person who won't take the responsibility and they actually kind of coddle that person and join that person in criticizing and shaming and blaming the victim. It's like abuse round two, only more intense because now you don't just have a private situation going on now you've got kind of a public a public smear campaign happening how do these women deal with that what are how are they supposed to think about that well 
you know, we, we talked about um, in the class that we just did together, um, you and I, I talked about really counting the cost. Um, and, and part of that is if, if you really start to realize that you're in an abuse situation, it's not going to change. What Natalie just described about the common reaction that in, in many church settings, because of the misunderstanding of what abuse really is and how it operates, um, you'll want to know ahead of time that the cost of leaving a relationship like that is more than just leaving the relationship, that it may affect other relationships in your life as well. And in fact, probably will affect in meaningful ways your church relationship. And it's one of the reasons I started the conversation talking about the importance of emotional independence to realize that um, it, it may be the most individual decision you've ever made if you decide to get out of that relationship. Well, let's, let's talk for a minute about what you just described. And that is, uh, you know, um, when people start to talk about it, there's kind of this picture of men and women and the difference between what they're allowed and all those kind of things. You know, Galatians 5 talks about, um, it's, it's the verse that talks about um, submit yourselves to your husband. And that verse is A, quoted so out of context and B, so misunderstood that that and many other verses set up the dynamic you're talking about. You know, if you take that verse just by itself and say, wives, submit yourselves to your husband and don't recognize that there's a difference between the words submit and subject, then what you end up with is a mindset that says, um, wives, subject yourselves to your husband, which means allow yourself to be controlled by. Submit means choose to give yourself to. Now, here's the dilemma with that is, if you're going to give yourself, but you're only being part of yourself, you're not actually giving yourself, you're, you're hiding part of you. In other words, part of what you described a minute ago, when women might be asked to be blessed or to, you know, to endure certain things, the idea of submitting yourself presumes that you're, you're bringing your whole self to that relationship. Not a fragment of yourself, not, a, um, not just the servant part of yourself, but all of yourself, your needs your desires, your dreams, your hopes, and you're giving your husband your, your needs, your hopes, your dreams, and your desires. And then you have to put that in context because it first of all says, give yourselves one to another in love. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it's really just one, one concept with two examples. The concept is give yourselves one to another in love. The examples are husbands, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Think about the way that Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church by laying his life down for her. More than that, by giving her back her identity, by giving her back her, uh, her strength, by giving her back her life. Uh, Jesus came not to take from the church and demand servitude, in fact, think about what he said in the book of Matthew. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so that would actually reverse the idea that if in the marriage dynamic, one person would serve the other, it would be the husband, not the wife. But go back to what I said a minute ago. A healthy relationship, the opposite of abuse, is a mutual relationship. There's mutual servitude. There's mutual strength of identity. There's mutual meeting of one another's needs. If you've been grown up in a faith um, stream that says, 
a woman's needs are to be set aside for the man's, I would ask yourself the question, A, is that a, a family of origin belief or is that a biblical belief? Mm. Often what happens is generations and culture pass things on as if they're scripture, as opposed to really going back to the scripture itself separate of cultural interpretations. And so when you have patriarchal cultures who have allowed the men to dominate, and obviously back in the ancient cultures, men were the, the economic strength, women were considered as property, all those kind of things. And so you have these uh, cultural dynamics where women are subservient. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that in Scripture if you think differently about the word submit. Um, uh, and a number of other places where the Scripture describes the relationship between men and women. If you think about the life of Jesus and the way that he empowered women, um, there were a number of women that followed him. Even in, you know, in the, uh, Paul's letters to the church, churches, you see that there were women serving in positions of, of meaningful leadership. And so I think there's um, Jesus actually in many ways reversed the culture of his day, his day that allowed that for the subjection of women, and he actually gave women a much more powerful place in in his uh, in his disciples' roles. So um, I think it's important to look at that idea through a lens that's not just cultural, but one that's you know step outside of that. But then ask the question: If I'm going to give myself to my husband. Would I allow him to do things that are harmful to himself? If I'm going to give myself to him, does that mean I'm just going to be silent while I watch him do things that harm himself, the kids, and the family? Or does that mean I'm going to give all of myself to him and share the part of me that could also um, possibly prevent that harm? Right. Even if it doesn't work, because we're supposed to be, we're supposed to do what's right whether or not it actually ends up with the result that we want to have, we still do what's right. And then we leave the result in faith to God. Right. And sometimes the result, especially when you're dealing with an abusive person, you don't, more often than not, you don't get the result that you're looking for. And to, so to that point though, I'm wondering if before we close, if you could give in the workshop that you just did, you talked about some things to look for, some really important things to look for. If you want to be able to tell or discern if there really has been some genuine inner change in your partner, um, and what, can you just talk a little bit about those things? Cause that's, a, that's a huge thing. A lot of times women, they, they really want to see change. They, and they almost, they're grasping at straws. Well, and, and of course the abusive partner is saying, well, I've changed. Look at, I've done A, B, C, and D, all the things that were on your list. I've changed. And right. yet the woman is still feeling like, I just don't know. I don't, I don't, there's oh, something not right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'd love to, um, and in fact, to do that, let me say, you know, let me just quickly give the, the concept of abuse as we described it in that class, that abuse is that inappropriate assignment of responsibility. And, and that's why submission actually means being yourself in the relationship and not letting the other person take away your place in the world. Um, and by an inappropriate assignment of responsibility, somebody who's angry makes everybody else responsible for their anger. Somebody who's sexually abusive makes other people responsible for their sexual needs. But then they move beyond that and they also blame them, blame the other people for their misbehavior. So the role that an abuser plays in that dynamic is they look to the world around them 
to tell them that they're okay, to make them feel better about themselves, or to pay the price if they don't feel good about themselves. That's important because if we're going to talk about what really is an indicator of change, we need to understand what, what it is that's supposed to be changing. Because the abuser is typically thinking, um, there's a behavior I do that I should stop, or there's a behavior that I do that other people make me do, and it's, it's, you know, I wish they wouldn't make me do it, <laughs> however they think of that. Um, <clears throat> so what people think is, well, if they stop uh, being violent, if they stop sleeping with other people, if they stop um, cursing out their spouse or their kids, then they will have changed. But the reality is, if they don't shift to the place where they take responsibility for themselves, the real issue that, that needs to change isn't even being considered. And so the, the things I talked about were, first and foremost, um, empathy. That the abuser who can't express empathy um, hasn't even understood what it is they're repenting from. In other words, empathy is the understanding and the ex expression of what it was like to be you in relationship to me. So empathy would be, I now see how you have been in pain and what it's like to be and what you've experienced in relationship to me. And I, not only do I understand it, I'm going to express it to you until you feel like I understand it. Mm. Number two is responsibility. Responsibility is I made choices. I did some things. Uh, my choices and my actions harmed you. And it was my responsibility and mine alone. Think about what we said a minute ago. Abuse is the inappropriate assignment of responsibility. So unless the abuser takes responsibility and, and uh, admits responsibility, again, in an ongoing way, then there's not real change. So because empathy and responsibility are the two key things, then there's two key qualifiers that need to be with that. Number one, they, they, um, if they need to be uh, validated for that, then it's not real change. In other words, um, empathy and responsibility would say, I did this and you've been in pain. It wouldn't say, don't you notice how much I've changed? How come you don't validate my change? How come you won't give me credit for what I have done? In other words, the lack of the inability to take responsibility says you still have to validate me. Right. If I've changed quote unquote, then you have to live with me in such a way to say that I've changed so that I feel good about the change that I've done. So yeah. the, first thing, the, the first qualifier is that the abuser should not need um, to be validated by anybody else. Their expectation that other people recognize their change is, is still a sign of not changing. And then the second qualifier is time. Because the abuser wants to adjust behavior instead of connection, they want, they want to change behavior instead of responsibility taking. They'll, they'll adjust their behavior, but in the overall cycle of abuse, there's a part of the cycle that is when the abuser changes behavior long enough to guilt the, uh, the victim of abuse back into the abuse cycle. And so they'll change behavior and they'll advertise to the world, look how changed I am. And then the, the victim will say, well, you know, the first two times they'll say, wow, you've really changed. I'm going to come back. The third time they'll say, hey, I've, I've bit on this bait before, but now all my friends are pressuring me and saying, don't you see how repentant he is? You should go back to him. But that part of the cycle where change is, where uh, changing behavior is part of the abuse cycle, if that change doesn't maintain over at least three months, 
And by that change, I mean empathy and responsibility that are expressed. If that change doesn't remain over at least three months, I would not consider it legitimate change. Good. So, so if your partner says to you, you know, I take responsibility for what I've done, but you also have played a part and you need to take responsibility. Once they say the word, but they've negated everything. (laughs) Exactly. If you're taking responsibility, there is no, but it's I'm taking responsibility period. Yes. So what if it's I'm taking responsibility and you need to also take responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a form of blame. Yes. Most of the time, the victim of abuse has already been taking too much responsibility. Right. And it fits the thing that I described in that class where I said, you know, a control freak experiences other people as controlling because they believe they own everything. Yeah. And when another person starts to reclaim their own soul and the, the control person believes they had the right to that, they feel controlled when you start to take your own life back. Yep. Oh, this is good stuff. The idea that um, I've I've taken responsibility, but you have to too. A third party should be the one to say that, not the offender. Yeah. If a counselor says that, all power to them. But if the offender says it, it's just completely undermined any sense that they've actually taken responsibility. Yep. Yep. They they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Exactly. Okay, this has been really, really good. I'm so thankful that you have that you were willing to do this, and I know you're busy. It's we're recording this during the holidays, and um, I'm I'm just grateful for your time. And I, that's it. Well, you're very welcome. The timing was actually perfect, so I'm. Oh, well, that must have been that. That was God then. All right. Well, thank you so much. And the rest of you, thank you for joining us. And I hope that uh, you will subscribe. This is a brand new podcast. And so make sure that you subscribe so that you won't miss future, um, future interviews and future episodes. There's lots of stuff. Like I've told you before, I've or said in the first, uh, the first episode, I've got a list a mile long of some great subjects that we're going to be talking about here. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time.